You're listening to the Black Eagles podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 228 of the Black Eagles podcast. I am, of course, your host, Sinan Sporting. That's right. Back again. Well into our 200s at this point. Of course, everyone knows this is going to be a special episode. Fun. Things have occurred, in a sense, right? A big match, a derby against Fenerbahce. Um, obviously, that's what we're here to talk about. <clears throat> but, yeah, I guess first of all, let's talk a little bit about some news. Speaking of Fenerbahce, they've supposedly come in and tried to snake Sorloth from underneath us, just as they had Talishka and Abubakar. So this is something of an M.O., them. Um, Elsewhere, there's not a ton of news. I waited to drop this episode for today's match. Uh, It was uh, Antalya Spor against Konya. Uh, It's relevant to all of us in the standings and to how the rest of our season will bear out. So I thought, you know, I'll kind of hang on to see if, if there's a result there that keeps the season more intriguing than it would be otherwise. Uh, obviously, everyone who is in tune knows how that went. Antalya scored the big win, making Konya kind of uh, irrelevant for the most part. Now, we'll get into all that later. I guess what we're going to do here, first of all, obviously, we're talking Besiktas versus Fenerbahce. Operation is in effect as of right now. Fenerbahce. Whatever. That was. I hate pronouncing their name. I hate I, this team. Personally, I should probably mention that my Turkish side of my family, the Turkish side of my family, um, were largely Fenerbahce fans. Fenerbahce fans. I always pronounce that weird. It's like a mental tick I can't overcome. I despise them so much. I mean, it's it's a funny story. I I never was a, a fan of theirs, despite my family sort of all suggesting I should be. Obviously, everyone out there speaks English pretty well, listening to an English language podcast. But, and I've said this before, so a little, a little bit of a repeat, but for anyone out there who doesn't know how I became a Besiktas fan, obviously a born and raised New Yorker and the whatever, the story is basically, you know, I have 95% of my family, maybe 99%, honestly, and they're all Fenerbahce fans. They're all... You know, we love Fenerbahce. Do you love them too? You know, and then I have like the one uncle who speaks English fluently. And rather than just sort of saying that, you know, and, and, and remember, right? Like football is not just, right? Language is one thing, but then football, there's a culture behind it. So it's like the logic for a trick is like, of course you love this team that your family loves, right? But like, 
when you're not from Turkey, when you're from the United States especially, where there's not really a culture of the sport, it needs to be kind of explained a little bit, right? So my uncle, who was really fluent in English, worked for Honeywell, and a really successful guy, whatever, <clears throat> he sat me down and he, he's talking me through the club's ethos, the philosophy, what it means to be a Besiktas fan, you know, all of this stuff. So of course, that's the thing that really compels me, the black and white sort of lore and all of that. So here I am, right, making a Besiktas podcast, giving Besiktas fans something to listen to, uh, an international audience potentially, right? And it's literally because of the one uncle who spoke English well. So for anyone out there who, who's listening, you have the power to expand the fan base. Anyway, so obviously all of that Going into my personal history is to say that I had a lot of pressure to become a Fenerbahce fan. Instead, obviously, here we are. And so that's why these derbies matter a lot to me. Even in a season like this where everything's done and dusted, you know, I've made jokes about how I, I hope we can keep Fenerbahce from reaching the Champions League so they don't get that money and all that, right? It, there's a deep-seated, very passionate hatred for them. And of course, anyone who's a Besiktas fan knows about the history of them constantly trying to steal our transfers and, and play these sort of mental games with us. But, so, you know, for me personally, <clears throat> doing this podcast as your host, there's that personal angle too. I've always despised this club. So let's talk about this match, I suppose. Obviously, that's what we're all here for. And we're, as usual, we'll start with our lineups for Besiktas. A crazy lineup, you know. Both sides were thoroughly depleted by injuries, suspensions, all that. But Besiktas, in particular, was hit hard in the sense that they had to create these very makeshift lines. Especially, look at the defensive line, right? You have Serdar Sachi and Wellington, who are somewhat typically there, and then you have Umut Merash on the back line, and then. Here's where things get crazy. As wingbacks, of course, we have Ridvan Yilmaz, who's in a poor run of form, if we're gonna be honest. Ever since the scouts started tracking him, he's kind of fallen off. Uh, but opposite him, as a right wing back with Valentin Rosier suspended, we had Kenan Karaman, which, you know, nobody expected to see, I would, I would, I would assume. Joseph de Souza and Ilkan, midfield with Rashid Ghazal in the middle behind Michi Batshuayi and Kyle Lahren. So for folks who were worried that Valent uh, Valentin, Valerien Ismail didn't have a plan B from his West Brom days, apparently he has a plan B and C. You know, we're even seeing, you know, some, some variation regarding the, the, the front line. So I guess there's a silver lining, but obviously this is going to be a tough match. Excuse me for that. Um, this is going to be a tough match on various fronts. Not only do we have this kind of weird, crazy, makeshift, plan C lineup, but we also have opposition that's quite hot. Fenerbahce is probably, and I, given everything I've already said, I, I, it pains me to say this, that's the hottest team in Turkey right now. They're on a great tear, great run of form. They're in a solid second place, playing real well to close out the season. And given how poorly Trabzonspor has played, one could probably make the argument that they're the strongest side in the league right now. 
Fenerbahce, I mean, um, Trabzon has notoriously, like, flailed across the finish line. Of course, they've won. I've already given my celebrations to them. I'm not wasting any more time with that. But, yeah, I mean, for me, this is the hottest team in Turkey right now. And so I came into this one quite negative. Not negative to the extent that I did, ironically, with Kasim Pasha. With that one, I just had a real bad feeling. This time, I, I thought, you know, with the Derby, you're always going to get a fight. Uh, we've we've sold out our stadium. You know, we had a loud, rambunctious home atmosphere. You expected a match here, no doubt. But I'll be 100% honest. I didn't expect to get a result. Straight up, I just didn't see it happening. So... That was my take coming into it. Now let's talk about their lineup. And they were depleted too. Um, Altai Bayern did on their goal. Philippe Novak and Marcel Tisserand, 29-year-old Congolese defender uh, opposite, uh, next to him on the back line. Nazim Sangare, Sangare 27-year-old quote-unquote Turk. Uh, opposite Ferdi Kadiolu, the Dutch Turk, 22-year-old, who has settled into that wing back position in his last few matches and really shined there. I wouldn't be surprised if that was essentially his new role. We'll see how that pans out. Um, up ahead of him in the midfield, you had Miha Zajic, 27-year-old Slovenian, who's kind of gaining relevance in their lineup this season. Luis Gustavo, 34-year-old Brazilian, next to him. In front of them, Mert Hakan Yandash, 27-year-old Turk, who I don't really rate particularly highly. I'll keep it 100. Um, Irfan Jan Kaveci uh, was the right wing, 26-year-old Turk, very talented man. Opposite Diego Rossi, 24-year-old Uruguayan, left wing. Um, Irfan Jan Kaveci is undoubtedly talented, although he's also undoubtedly inconsistent. So you never quite know what to expect from him. Um, up top for Fenerbahce, they're in form. Striker Serdar Dursun, 30-year-old, kind of late bloomer. We'll see what comes of his career in general. Um, but yeah, he has 14 goals this year. He's got the same assists, uh, goal and assists numbers as Nishibachuai. For anyone curious, 14 and 3. So let's talk about this match, right? Like, what else is there to say? Um, both sides impacted by issues, we could say. Domagos Vida injured. Mert Gunok, obviously, permanently injured. Jalai injured. Pelkas injured. Crespo, for them, injured. Serdar Aziz carted out. Um, Valentin Rosier carted out. Javi Montero carted out for us, right? Like, it, this is going to be... Um, Arda Guler was out for this as well with a light, minor injury. Kim Min Jae is out. I'm not exactly sure why, but I'm assuming because they're just keeping him healthy, knowing he's on his way out. They want to see what they have, what to build on with next year. But so yeah, like I said, both sides depleted. But I think you could definitely make the argument that Besiktas was the more impacted by those issues having to really piece together a squad with whatever they could find. I mean, obviously, Kenan Karaman at right wing back being the, you know, the underlined, the highlighted point there. Uh, but so, yeah, let us dig in. So, first of all, right out of the gates, third minute of the match, a free kick. And the, the 
Fenner is looking the more lively initially, I would I think we could all agree. Third minute free kick from Met Hakan Yandesh. Finds Filip Novak who sends a shot in. Uh, and Kyle Laren clears it off the line. Not, not really off the line, but I mean, kind of well defended from Kyle Laren, oddly. Uh, he's only back there because it was a free kick, and so everyone was sort of positioned back there. Um, fifth minute, another one, uh, this time a corner kick. Maybe uh, a reaction to that free kick? Uh, to, to that uh, clearance, rather, by, by Kyle Laren. Anyway, the corner kick is defended out, drops to Ferdi Cadiol. Who does a good job kind of just connecting on a volley, one touch, sends it right back. Um, just trying to ca cause chaos. It's not like an intentional pass to anyone by any stretch. I mean, he's just kicking it into the box. Excuse me for hitting the mic. Uh, and it just so happens that Kyle Aaron, the very same uh, Kyle Aaron, for some reason is just holding our line behind the goal, kind of decides to come back into play, and as such, keeps Serdar Dursun and Filip Novak on side. They both seem to be way off, so I think most of Besiktas' defense shuts down, assuming, okay, plays over, they're off sides. Surprise! Kyle Aaron has decided to keep them on, and therefore, bang, a goal. Um, an assist by Serdar Dursun, so he got that. I think that was the third assist that levels him with Nishibachuai's number. Um, and so yeah, not good. Not a good start. We are down nil to one. Um, and what's worse is that our fans are acting like petulant children, throwing things onto the pitch at the players of our, of our position. Our guys have to come out and tell them to calm down a number of times. So it's almost like there's a little justice being served here, unfortunately. Um, certainly they seem to have been motivated by the atmosphere, if anything. So that's never good. I'm, I'm always the type who says never motivate your opponents, no matter what you think you're doing. Because of course there's a chance you'll get into their head, you're going to do something positive. But there's also, there's also a chance you're going to be helping them when you play these games. And, um, you know, for me it's best to just let the let this stuff happening on the pitch dictate things. Because, I mean, I think a, a crowd can be an advantage when they're just getting loud and boisterous and supporting the team. Once they start motivating opposition by getting them angry and making them want to shut the crowd up and stuff, right? That's when you have problems. But so, yeah. Um, anyway, we would get lucky, it would seem, because we woke up from that goal, as is often the case with this team this season. And sure enough, uh, sixth minute, Kyle on a, on a sort of counter, gets the ball, bounces up off of him, down onto the hand of Filip Novak. We get the call, a penalty kick, Bacuay steps up, power, placement seems all good, except not quite. Uh, it's like an inch or two to the left, hits the post, and solidly hits the post, not in a way that it bounces it back in to the goal or anything. Comes careening out. Uh, I think we got a corner out of it at least, but yeah. Michi Bacuay, a missed penalty. Yikes. So. Not only are we down a goal, and our, our, our fans acting impetuous and motivating our opposition, but we can't catch a break. Michi Bachuai, just that poor man. I mean, and, and poor insofar as I don't want to see him in a Bachelor's kit anymore. I, I feel for him. I know he's talented. He's shown the ability to score big goals, but 
he's also just squandered so many opportunities. How, how can he do this to us? It's killing us. Anyway, 12 minute Ridvan sends a ball in perfectly, actually, perfectly weighted um, in air. Drops, it looks like perfectly to Kyle Aaron. Novak again cuts it out, bringing Kyle Aaron down. Was that a penalty? Uh, it was soft if it was. Now, today there was a penalty in the Antalya match that hurt Konyaspor and obviously benefits Fenerbahce. Um, and it was softer than probably this play, and certainly softer than a play later on that wouldn't go our way, which I'll get into. Uh, which begs the question, um, how does that always happen? A, why don't we ever get those 50-50s? And, I mean, I guess granted we just got on a penalty, uh, which didn't go our way, but... Uh, yeah, anyway, whatever. <sighs> 21st minute, Serdar Dursun gets in a nice shot, but Ersin gets down and across quickly. Great save from him. So it's still just 1-0, even though it should be at least 1-1 by now. 29th minute, Joseph de Souza, a yellow card. Irfan Jan Kaveji, a yellow card. They're fighting over <clears throat> what looked to be a call that was not made. Um, Kenan Karaman kind of little fancy footwork, sort of, as he's entering the box to make a run. Brought down by Filip Novak. Maybe it was Ferdi Cariolo? No, I think it was Filip Novak. Um, and, yeah, it seems an obvious penalty call. They don't even want to look at it at first. Then they kind of half-heartedly look at it, and then finally the ref has to go to the screen. And I mean, again, like... Our, our, our team is up in arms, protesting, yelling, screaming. None of this should be necessary. Someone in the VRBR should have seen it within minutes of, of the action, and immediately it should have just been, you know, whistle blown, penalty called, etc. Instead, we have to get, you know, Joseph gets a yellow card. And I mean, to be fair, Irfan Jan Kaveji gets one as well, because of this sort of back and forth, but none of this should be necessary. Like, this is their jobs. This is why we have a VAR booth. Anyway. Penalty's called. This time Rashid Gazal steps up, sends it to the left, keeper goes right, bang. We're on the scoreboard, it's one to one, and it seems like for the most part we've taken this match as well, which is the more important aspect of this. Now, um, before the half is out, Wellington, Wellington gets a yellow card in the 36th minute, Rashid Gazal gets a yellow card in the second minute of extra time, and Ersin Destinolu gets a yellow card in the fourth minute of extra time with Mert Hakan Yandash getting an extra time in the fourth minute of extra time as well. Uh, this is a back and forth again, of course. I don't remember exactly what this one was about, but uh, yeah, I mean, just classic issues with the rest. Maybe they were complaining, you know, after the whistle was blown. Whatever it is, terrible performance by the referee again. Lots of questionable calls made, as per usual, or calls not made. Um, lots of back and forth, right? Just like allowing tensions to rise for no good reason. Like that's essentially in a match where there aren't a ton of fouls, where, you know, on the pitch, not talking about people fighting and getting cards for arguing and all that, pushing each other. But, you know, it's a it's a ref's match to keep the game in control and to make sure it doesn't get too physical so that nobody gets hurt. So this is something that Turkish referees notoriously are just pathetic at. Anyway, halftime, one to one. First action of the second half, 45th minute, Emirhan. Uh, the ball bounces down, he kind of makes nice contact on a perfect pass. 
Um, A-plus ball into the path of Kyle Lahren, who's one-on-one -on -one with the keeper and just sends it into Altai's foot. A little air on it, it's a goal. You know, a little placement around the keeper, it's a goal, but instead he just kind of kicks it low with minimal contact. I think he thinks it's an easier chance than it, than it, than he, than it was. But the result, no goal on a one-on-one. -on -one. The Emir Hunt should have an assist. Kyle Lahren should have a goal. He's kind of sleeping. 49th minute, Serdar Dursun sends the ball. Oh, sorry, what am I talking about? Dursun. Serdar Sachi actually sends a, no a lovely cross uh, into the box, finding Rashid Ghazal on the far post. He heads it back in, finding Wellington. No, sorry, finding Kyle Laren. Uh, and Kyle Laren heads it off the crossbar. <laughs> What's going on, Kyle? You were our golden boy last year. Um, 61st minute, Georges Cavan and Kudu, last match's hero, comes in from Mishi Batshuayi, sending Kyle Aaron into the middle. I kind of got it, honestly. Uh, Mishi Batshuayi was, you know, it's one thing for him to have a bad game to the extent that he has had them before, where he's just not putting chances away. But, you know, he still usually weighs the defense. He has positives, passes well, whatever. This is a rare bad performance from just all around. He kind of boasts. Couple plays here and there are decent, but all in all, you know, just not. I think he was very disheartened by missing that penalty, I assume. But so Ngudu comes on, and I think that means Kyle Lahren goes in the middle, which you understand too. Kyle Lahren's missed a lot of opportunities, not having a great match, but he is at least getting into opportunities. There, there are chances coming from his presence. So I, you kind of understand the logic there. Uh, 66th minute. Ferdi Cadiolu sends in a, a long ball slash shot. I don't remember exactly how it sort of shook out, but Umut Medash comes back and sort of heads it off the line. Um, a nice save from him defensively. Uh, 70th minute, Ener Valencia enters the match for Serdar Dursun. They're going for pace and little energy late in the game. Bright Osai Samuel on for Irfan John Kaveji. It is worth noting so that Irfan John Kaveji and Rossi switched sides at one point in the first half because Irfan John Kaveji saw a weakness in Kenan Karaman as right wing back and thought to exploit it. And that actually seemed to motivate Kenan Karaman. And he played much better from that point on, oddly enough. And obviously, he didn't have like a great match by any stretch, but um, considering he was so far out of position, he fought hard for, for balls. He kind of maintained himself positionally. You know, at least he had a presence defensively far more than you'd, you'd assume he'd, he'd wander off up front and attack way more often than he should. But no, no, he, he held his own. Credit to him, honestly. Um, and I don't say that a lot. 75th minute subs, Guven Yalchin on for Kyle Laren. You get that too. Even though I understood keeping him in over Bachuai because Bachuai was so poor, he had played terribly also. So you hope, you know, maybe you'll get one of those Guven Yalchin sub, super sub performances. Uh, Nejip Uysal for Umut Merash. And so this is where the mistakes start coming from Valerian Ismail. And in fact, it's been admitted at this point, Umut Merash looked like he'd been injured and then he got up and was okay. But I think the assumption was that maybe he was injured, they didn't want to risk him, so they, they take him out. And that's a mistake. And in fact, Ismail, you see him apologize to Merash late in the game. It was a mistake. It leads to a number of other mistakes, unfortunately. So, because he has to put on Nejip Uysal from Umut Merash, because we're already lacking 
wing back. Remember, we've got Kanan Karaman over there. Um, he also puts on John Bozdoan for Rashid Gezal, which I think means that he's sliding Kanan Karaman up, bringing Nejib Uysal back, you know what I'm saying? And then uh, we've got Nejib Wellington Serdar And uh, we're, I think we're playing four back then with, with Nejib on the right side. And Kanan slid up. And then you've got Atiba coming on for Serdar Sachi. And so he is playing in the center of that defensive. It's, at this point, it's, it's, it's a confusing mess. Let's be clear. Um, 89th minute, Nkudu gets a yellow card. And then, and then, this is how he gets the yellow card. Guven Yalchin, lovely sort of little two-touch dribble move to get past his man, runs into space, sends the ball in perfectly for Georges Kevin and Kudu, and he's brought down by Nazim Sangare. And so, he gets the yellow card for complaining. And again, right, you look at the card, the, the card, the penalty awarded to Antalya Spor against Konya today. Way softer than this non-call. Uh, probably softer than the earlier one that I had mentioned where Kyle Lahren is brought down by Novak and it's not called. I don't know, you be the judge. I'm not gonna complain too much about it, but you know, insist inconsistent refereeing in the Turkish Super League has plagued it for as long as I've followed it and that's probably longer than most of you folks out there given sadly how old I'm getting <laughs> but so yeah I don't know man anyway uh, second minute of extra time Ferdi Cariolo gets himself a yellow card he leaves in the fourth minute of extra time for Chaitai Kurukalip so there I think they got jealous by how well Emirhan had been playing and so they decide to um, you know, see what, what their kids look like, of course. They don't have an Emirhan, especially now with Arda Guler out. Um, one play I missed in the 80th minute, Emirhan sends in a really lovely ball for Wellington, who's some miraculously onside, heads it into the path of John Bozduan, whose head is saved. Great diving save by Altai Bayender. In fact, the header may have been wide, so we got a free corner kick out of it, but yeah, anyway. Uh, finally, in the third minute of extra time, Ridvan Yilmaz gets himself a yellow card. Uh, and that would be the last sort of notable action that I can really recall. And just so to remember, at the very end of the match, we've got Wellington on, Umut Merash and Serdar Sachi are off, Nejip has come on, and Atiba. So I'm assuming it's Atiba. I'm assuming we go to a two-man backline with Ridvan still out there. We've got Wellington, Nejib, and then maybe Kenan Karaman stays as, as more of a right back in this scenario. Uh, Atiba playing kind of right ahead of them, or perhaps he's a, a part of a three-man backline still. I, mean, it, I really have no idea how things shook out at the end. It was a big mess. And we were just pressing, going for the goal. And so, um, you know, we were the better side in, in that vein. I think we can kind of easily argue Despite, again, having the, the far more makeshift team. It seems like the boys really responded well to these tactics, played really well for the most part. I mean, obviously lacking the ability to score goals as usual. 
But, you know, it, it bears out with the stats. You know, despite them having 60% of the ball to our 40%, and again, mostly that's first half. Second half, we were far better. We still had nine shots to their eight, three big chances to their one. We missed two of them, of course. One of them, of course, also being a penalty. They had 302 passes to our 176 at a 77% rate to our 68%. We committed 22 fouls to their 13. They had eight corners to our six. I mean, it's it's kind of back and forth, despite the fact that they had so much more of the ball, which speaks to the fact, I think, this was sort of by design. We let them play around with the ball in the back as much as they wanted to, uh, but we held our position and we were quite solid. You know, we played with intent. So we actually had more opportunities and more shots, despite having so much less of the ball. So, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise, honestly. I, we were the better side, I thought. Markedly, even. Now, let's talk about the, the, the top players in this match. Everyone rated above a 7. Uh, highest rated player would be Rashid Gezal. Of course, he scores a goal. Uh, but he had a great match all around, and I think you could kind of easily make the argument he was the man in the match. Second highest rated player, Ferdi Cadiolu. Then Miha Zaic, then Nazim Sangare, but then Emirhan Ilkan, 7.41, followed by Luis Gustavo, then Kenan Karaman, Joseph de Souza, Serdar Sachi, Filip Novak, Serdar Dursun, Mert Hakan Yandash. Wellington with a 6.97, not quite making the cut. So what that means is that they had eight players above, rated above a seven, we only had five, uh, but I think that's also again, right? Statistically speaking, they had so much of the ball; they were passing it around the back at a higher uh, accuracy rate with it because of that. And so I think a lot of guys maybe had a number of passes, accurate passes, short balls. You know, they, so they, they sort of buffed their numbers through the way they played, which would give them higher ratings. Um, even though, again, right? Like, so you can say all you want about the stats and the numbers, but at the end of the day, we had more chances, more big chances. So. You know, again, and the eye test is what's more important. I think people tend to over-focus on analytics these days. The reality is that we looked the better, more dangerous side. Period. So, that's the good news. Despite statistics saying something else. Let's talk about Emir Han. He played a full 90 minutes, 20 of 31 with his passes at a 65% rate. But he created two big chances. Or, sorry, he created two chances, one big chance. He had 50 touches. Now, he was one for five with his long balls. So that's contributing to his low accuracy rate with his passes. One for three with crosses. But see, the important thing is that he's trying these passes. He's trying to break through our def their defense. He's trying to create something. And this is something that's often lacked in our rotations. Big part of why we struggled to score. In a lot of scenarios, Bachuai wasn't the problem so much as our inability to create the chances, the, the opportunities for him to put away. So Emir Han is creating more of those, and he's, since he's been more of a presence in the rotation, we've had more chances. We've looked a more dangerous side. So that's, in a lot of ways, credit to him. He's played well as a 17-year-old, right? Now, he had six recoveries. Which means he came back and played his role. Like a big criticism from our group chat. One of our, Evran, for example, our old co-host, was saying he's more of a number 10 than a number 8. Uh, where he, we need a number 8. 
But again, six recoveries. He is coming back. He is playing that role. He won six of 11 ground duels. One of one. He was 100% accurate with his aerial duel. Um, he was fouled three times, you know? So he was doing things on the ball. He was getting involved. He was coming back. You know, these are good signs for a kid who's learning, essentially, something of a new position. It, it seems like he's transitioning from a 10 into more of a number eight, into more of a central midfielder. So it's a successful transition. He's a highly rated player at this point. Um, Rashid Ghazal is the other sort of debate, I suppose we could say. He played 75 minutes, he had a goal, he was 26 out of 29 with his passes. So he actually had a very influential game in the middle of our attack. Um, you know, flaring out as he is obviously capable of doing, but 62 touches, one of one with his shot accuracy, obviously it was a goal, four out of five with his dribbles. He's only one for nine with his crosses, so 11%. But so despite that, he had a very successful day of passing the ball. So, you know, credit to him, honestly. Great performance all around. He was nine of 16 with his ground duels won, which, you know, not stellar, but it speaks to how much he was getting involved and how he was adapting to his role in the middle of our attack. So, there's certainly an argument to, made, to be made that he could be our man of the match too. Certainly those are my top two candidates. Serdar Sachi would be my third he was also, if you recall, in the group of players I mentioned, rated above a 7. Um, there's a nice highlight reel going around on Twitter of his accolades from the match, his good performance. So, if you're on Twitter, uh, I, f I think I've shared that from the podcast account. Check it out. But yeah, those would be my three candidates, and then I'll, I'll put the vote out there again, and I'll do the other as an option. Um, but so, yeah, all in all, Good match. We should have won. Um, not a great result. And I, th I suppose what we can do now is talk about why, in the standings, this didn't work out so well for us. So, Besiktas is in seventh place now. After all matches are played, Antalya almost caught us. We're level on points, but we have the goal differential. Um, we have 55 points. Fatih Karagumruk has 56. They beat Guztepe this week, so they've passed us because of our performance here. Uh, Alani has 58. And they're in fifth place. They're three points ahead of us. That is obviously bad news. Bashakshir here has 61 points in fourth place. Now, what that means is that they're six points ahead of us. They would have to lose both of their matches, and we would have to win both of our matches in order for us to be able to equal their point total. They're also at a plus 19 goal differential. We're at a plus six. So that ain't happening, folks. Let's just be real about it. What that means is that we're not catching Bashakshir in fourth. It's hard to catch Alanyaspor in fifth. Now fifth is only a possibility for a spot in, in Europe if Trabzon wins the double. That said, here's how it's going to go, if it's possible. Alanya Spor, in their remaining matches, they still have a cup game against Sivas. So they could be a bit tired this in their upcoming match against Gaziantep on Sunday. And they play Fatih Karagumru the following week. 
Now, Fatih Karagumruk is also ahead of us by a point now, so this is complicated. What essentially has to happen, and to make it as simple as possible, Fatih Karagumruk, they have Fenerbahce this weekend and then Alanyaspor the week after. What we kind of need to see happen is Fenerbahce has to beat Fatih Karagumruk, and then Fatih Karagumruk has to defeat Alanyaspor. So that essentially, when Fener beats Fatih Karagumruk, we. Right? Or, yeah, we pass them. We, we go back up into fifth, sixth place. Uh, and whatever happens with Alanyaspor, hopefully they can draw points against Gaziantep. Not likely, Gaziantep's not a very strong side. But then, what would happen is we win the next week as well. And Alanya, if they lose to Fatih Karagumruk, we then go level on points. And depending on how they lose, right, they have a plus five goal differential. We have a plus six now, as, as things stand. So that's it. It's really that simple. Fatih Karagumruk has to lose to Fenerbahce and then beat Alanyaspor. It's quite simple in a way. And that's the only way that this works. Because, of course, if Fatih Karagumruk beats Alanya but also beats Fener, then they're still ahead of us, being a point ahead of us now. So it's really quite simple. <laughs> Oddly, we're relying on Fener to win. The good news, I guess, for us is that we don't have to sort of low-key hope we can beat Konyaspor in that final match, or rather lose to Konyaspor so they can pass Fener. They're out, it looks like. Um, five points back on Fenerbahce now. They are. Um, so Konyaspor is um, in third place with 64 points, Fenerbahce with 69 points, and then Trabzon, our champions, with 78. What that means is that Fenerbahce is still... I mean, they have to try to beat Fatih Karagumruk, because in theory, of course, Konya can catch them. Although, by beating Fatih Karagumruk, they would end all speculation. So they have something to play for, in fact. That's the good news. Like, they should theoretically try to beat Fatih Karagumruk this coming weekend. Uh, and Fatih Karagumruk should try to beat Alanyaspor the following week, because they'd want to potentially past them and if we were to draw points then finish in fifth and get a spot in Europe you know everyone has something to play for which in this case is good for us so we need to win out uh, except for Konya ironically Konya's I mean well I, I guess Bashakshi could pass them that could change next week though in his coming match day I mean the bottom line is, is really quite straightforward all right Fatih Karagumruk needs to lose to Fener and beat Alanya, and we need to win. And then we might have that chance, you know, and, and of course Trapzon has to win the cup as well, which is still not necessarily determined. I guess I, I, I could mention, speaking of the cup, right, they already have a 1-0 goal differential from the first leg going into the, the second leg here. Sivas has a 2-1 goal differential against Alanyaspor, so Alanya has everything to fight for and to tire themselves about uh, with their upcoming game against Gaziantep. So, you know, th th there's a world where this could still work out for us and we could actually end up with a place in Europe next season. In fact, I mean, it's not, it's mathematically possible we could catch uh, Bashakshi, but like, only mathematically. <laughs> it's, as far as likelihood goes, there's like a 0.01% chance, I would imagine. We need to score a lot of goals in these last two matches. And Bashakshi, we need to lose bad. So let's not count on any of that happening. But
But what we can count on is that me, I will be back. Uh, I will always be back. So, upcoming, of course, our next match will be this coming Sunday. We'll be visiting Guztepe in Izmir. It is scheduled now to be at 1 p.m. Sunday, May 15th. 1 p.m. here in New York City, local time. So check your local listings as per usual. Uh, yeah, and we'll be back to report on how things go there. If we win, and let's hope we do, A, we're building on you know this, this Valerian Ismail era that we hope to have some success in. B, we're keeping our hopes alive for Spot in Europe next year. So everything to play for. Um, Gustepe is going down. That is very much established. They're 19th place, 28 points, and no hopes of going anywhere else. Uh, the relegation is set, by the way, for anyone who is curious. Vize, Altai, Gustepe, and Yeni Malatya all going down. So that's it. That's all we got this week. See you around next week. Follow us on Twitter at Eagles underscore podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Black Eagles podcast, one word. As always, follow myself at Sir underscore rights underscore a lot. And let's go, Bessington! Peace out, everybody. Six more points. Let's end with 61. Besiktas International hopes you enjoyed this program.